You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Today's episode is on the topic of high-functioning teams, and we are joined for the discussion with one of our past guests, the great coach, Hugh McCutcheon, who has just written a book called Championship Behaviours. Hugh led the USA men's team to an Olympic gold in 2008 and the USA women to an Olympic silver in 2012 and is presently an assistant athletics director at the University of Minnesota. Some of the key highlights of our discussion are the idea that there is a difference between high-functioning and high-performing teams, where high-functioning teams focus on actions and interactions rather than primarily achievements, that truth, compassion and empathy are not mutually exclusive, and that high-functioning teams are trying to leverage the synergy that's created by a group of people that are working with similar goals. And just before we go to the interview, just a quick message from me to say that if you want to improve your own leadership skills, then you can reach me and another member of the team, Grant, at elevatedleadership.com.au. Our goal is to coach you towards the leader you aspire to be. And now, please enjoy our discussion with Hugh McCutcheon. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. Hugh McCutcheon, welcome back to the Great Coaches podcast. 
There you go. The uh, the great coaches podcast boomerang back again. <laughs> you we're very happy to have you back today. Talking about I think a topic that we all all of us think about a lot in life, which is high performing teams, or as you've coined them in the book, high functioning teams. We'll we'll get into that in a minute. But Hugh, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't start with the question of where are you in the world and what have you been doing so far today. Well, yeah, Minneapolis, Minnesota today, and it's been a very productive day. I've been quite busy, um, had some really good meetings, and uh, felt like I've I've got some good work done. So I'm I'm here feeling pretty good about things. Okay, well, we've got you at the hopefully at the start of some momentum, which will carry us through this interview. <laughs> Hugh, in the book, you talk about high-functioning teams. It wasn't a term that I'd heard before. Many people we've interviewed call them high-performing teams. So I want to start with asking you, what's the difference? Well, to me, the idea would be high-functioning is about the actions and interactions. Maybe high-performing was more just the outcomes or, or the the achievements. But I think high-functioning is, to me, speaks to, you know, how, how people uh, work together um, versus maybe how they are in the moment of competition. How does that look like in an elite teams like the ones you've led? Well, I think the best teams probably understand a few different parts to to teamwork. One of which is that you know you, you can't achieve anything alone. That that you need your teammates. Um, and and to that end, I'd say the the best athletes uh, probably find ways to make those around them better. So nested with all in this idea of achievement that we we all get hooked into as athletes, the idea that we're going to be, um, you know, the, the best one on the team or whatever, it, it, it's balancing that. Well, maybe you, you, you can still be the best one on the team, but can you also be the best one for the team? I think those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. But as a coach, when you've got someone that, that understands the importance of a, a degree of selflessness around teammate behavior and that that invests in those around them, invests in the relationships, will find ways to add value to the team above and beyond whatever it is on the person on your team. You know, you, we all know that teammate, and yet we seldom teach to it or, or even recognize it. But I think it's a really critical part of high-functioning teams is having people that understand that we're all in it together and therefore, our teammate responsibilities, our teammate relationships are really critical to our success. When you pull together your teams, because they change every year, you've got students coming, student athletes coming in and leaving. Yep. How do you reset, potentially even reboot, this type of collaboration you're talking about? Well, like most things, I think it starts with really clear expectations and not not just clear uh, definitions of what are the behaviors that we want, but really trying to help people understand their meaning. I think, especially in this day and age, you know, our, uh, our athletes have more knowledge than ever, but less experience than ever. And so they might know the dictionary definition of a lot of these terms, but they don't really know how to live them. So trying to help them to understand, uh, you know, that, that whatever hard work is, is, easy to say, but it turns out it's really hard to do. <laughs> and, and But more importantly, that that you can learn to do it. That, that you know, we we all, that, that's a learned behavior. It's not a, a unitary kind of genetic thing. Um, so so just trying to, trying to help them through that. So, yeah, 
every year the people change. Uh, the, the principles driving the team um, don't, but their application surely does because the people are different, the personality is different, um, the, the level of skill, uh, emotional range and intelligence, all, all of those different pieces change. So your principles are the same, but the way you, the way you express them has to be different each year. You mentioned selflessness in there, and I'm wondering, can that be taught? Uh, I think, uh, I guess I don't know other than to say I believe yes, especially when people understand that that selflessness is connected to their own success. So in a way, selflessness can be quite selfish, <laughs> not disingenuous. But to understand that if I'm gonna, if we're, if we're gonna win the whatever the championship, the trophy, the medal, whatever it is, that my ability to put team above self will actually help me to achieve the things that I want to achieve. Well, I think that's true, but that's not selfish. That's just the reality of being on a team. You, there's one thing I've always wanted to to ask a, a great coach, but. Strangely, I've never done it in all these interviews. And it's around the words cooperation, collaboration, and even cohesion. They get talked a lot about, often interchangeably. But I'm mm. I'm not sure. Do they mean the same thing is the question? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know without knowing the context of their use. But I would say that generally those words uh, are expressed as synonyms. Um, but I think they're actually they're, there's some differences that are probably that are probably real. <laughs> I mean, competition, uh, collaboration, and, and cohesion. You know, cohesion is probably speaking more to to chemistry and 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 competing is competing. I mean, that that's a whole different endeavor. Um, so that's the the moment of of whether you're good enough or you're not. Uh, this idea of collaboration, I think, is 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 part of of teams, but obviously not all sports are team sports, even though there is a, a, a social element and in, even in, in uh, individual sports, whereas the, you know, the opponent can, can, can be part of that equation as well. I mean, the, the, the Latin derivative of, of, of the word to compete is to strive with, uh, not to strive against. So even if you're a hundred meter runner, you know, having someone standing right next to you, your, your rival, in fact, I mean, they can they can pull out a performance of you, from you that you couldn't pull out of yourself and and not to go on too much of a tangent here but but the idea of of competing and and having that be a learning opportunity versus having it be a defining moment is is really i think an important part of of what we're talking about here relative to your, the championship behaviors piece or or the championship podcast because um, you know, there's been research in all this. There was a guy that did a study, and he was out in New York, I think, at the University of New York, and he was looking at rivalries in runners. And he studied a thousand runners or something over six years. And what he found was, um, you know, with with runners who had their rival, whatever that, however that was defined, their rival in the race, they were running uh, an extra five seconds faster per kilometer than they were without their rival being there. And so when you speak about that social element to competition, I mean, that's a real thing. But even if you're just a normal Joe Blow and you're going out for a jog on the weekend and someone pulls up and says, on your left, and they start passing you by, well, all of a sudden you're, 
you're going a bit quicker or or if they're ahead of you and you were like well maybe i can catch them up you know what i mean so so i think that collaboration piece can be expressed lots of different ways so yeah those words are all maybe they get thrown in uh, a similar bucket but i think they're all quite different you when i've spoken to you before you've talked about the magic of high functioning teams being authenticity and the ability to operate in truth mm. now the truth can sometimes hurt and i wanted to ask you how do you find that line between being truthful enough but not so straight that the message doesn't land well the idea of truth uh combined with uh compassion or empathy those aren't mutually exclusive events so it's not truthful to be mean it's 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 how you frame it you know hey um we care about you you're a good person and we like you a lot however you have this mechanical inefficiency so therefore we'd like to fix that you know because like we talk about you know the grass is green the sky is blue this is this is the deal that's it it's not personal it just is and we happen to live on planet earth and the laws of physics apply so these inefficiencies have a cumulative negative effect but i could also be like hey you know um make some comment about their person relative to this mechanical inefficiency and reduce it to somehow uh, a personal deficiency like somehow they're not enough because they have this inefficiency in place so i could be mean about it but that that's not going to help anyone it's not going to help them it's certainly not going to help me um so yeah I, I don't think operating truth and being hurtful or or um in any way malicious not that i think that's where you're going with it but i think a lot of people think that being truthful is a, is a license to be mean and what i think is it's just an, a license to be truthful you're still going to be kind and compassionate and with any message when we're communicating the goal of communication is to make sure you're heard and understood and if you personalize it um well you, you're probably not going to get either of those it's fascinating because in that example you just gave then you did start by saying in the role play you gave you did start by saying you know we care about you but yeah. And I think this whole idea of couching it in this, this whole idea of care is potentially what you're also talking about when when that when you describe high functioning teams. But just just think about it within the context of this. As a coach, you you've hopefully talked to your team about well, what are, what are we doing here? What's the goal? What are we trying to achieve? And let's say the team said, "Okay, we want to do this. Okay, uh, whatever. Win the championship. Sounds great. Okay. My job as the coach is to hold you to that standard." That's it. So it's not like I like Tom more than I like John or whatever. It's just like, hey, I'm I'm here to meet people where they're at, but but I've got to operate in truth. Otherwise, and I've, obviously I have to be a consistent source of knowledge and information and all the rest of it. But that's my job is to hold you to that standard. You say you want to achieve that, then that's what we've got to do. We've got to figure out what that level looks like, what those behaviors look like, and hold you to that. That's it. It's it's not personal, even though it is personal and that we're in investing our lives but it's not a personal affront how about that no i like it and when you describe leadership in that context it's almost like it's not servant leadership but it's almost like dare i say it sounds a little bit like a service yeah well that's a that's exactly what i think it is i'm not a fan of servant leadership as i understand the concept but it implies a power dynamic that i don't think is accurate um 
service leadership, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a service provider as a coach. And the service I provide is I'm going to invest completely in your development and hold you to that standard uh, relative to the goals that we've set out to achieve. That's a service. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hugh, I want to take it from, potentially from the cerebral, but down into the feeling. You know, you've, you've been involved with All some right. teams that have gone on great runs. And I wanted to ask you, if, if it's even possible, what does it feel like when a team clicks and they go from being performing to high-functioning? I think the best way to describe it is that it, it feels like it makes sense or something like that. Like when 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 it's clunky and we don't we, we know we're not firing on all cylinders and, and it's not like all of these campaigns are rainbows and ponies and it's all magical. It's not like that. Sometimes it's hard and it's uncomfortable and you're still finding ways to win. And to me, that's that's a lot about what real championship behavior is, is getting it done when it's difficult because we can all be good when it's easy to be good. But I think when the team is 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 humming, when it's all going and and, and it's working, it there's, a, there's clarity around what we're doing it, how we're doing it. Um, there's a lot of mutual respect and trust. Obviously, that's the, that's the currency that makes it all work, but but there's a lot of really good stuff that goes on. And like I said, it, it just makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, this, is, this feels right. And so uh, I think that's the beauty of trying to create high-functioning teams because you can't read a book about what that is. You've got to feel it. And once you've felt it, and you know what that looks like, and you've seen the actions and the interactions, well, then you can go on and and, and you can create your own high-functioning teams because you know what that feeling is. I have this other fascinating quote from you in the book. I'd like to read it to you if I could, actually, before I ask the question. You say, leading and building high-functioning athletes and teams is not algorithmic. The same mm. inputs seldom lead to the same outputs <laughs> year to year or even day to day because the people and the competitive environments are constantly changing. The challenge is figuring out how to apply your guiding principles to the athletes in a way that works best for you. Now, my apologies for reading back your words to you, but it's such a great quote, but I wanted to unpack the principles element of it, actually, the last sentence. And I'm wondering if you could share a story, an idea, or something you've seen where you have had to work with a group of people to figure out how to apply guiding principles in a way that's unlocked someone else's potential? Well, I think, um, 
you know, even even if you look at the campaign we had with the USA men, it was really challenging. And I'd, I'd say with with only uh, probably only the last eight months were we really a high functioning team. Um, and and maybe maybe even the last three or four months. I mean, once we really selected the Olympic roster and we announced it early, once we were clear on who 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 the twelve were. We announced it early. We didn't wait till the last day or whatever. And and yeah, I mean that team was 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 pretty magical. But it wasn't like that for four years. For four for the other three and a half years, it was well, it was clunky at times. It was difficult. Remember that group was um tenth at the world championships in two thousand six. So it's not like we were locked to win anything. But to your point, uh, you know, when you think about applying principles. A big part of of creating these teams is, first of all, making people understand that that high functioning teams are trying to leverage the synergy that's created by a group of people that are working in, in with with similar goals, similar intentions, similar values, driving the way that they're doing. That that's where you're hoping to capture the, the extra juice to get you that competitive advantage of. Being, that comes from being high functioning. Now, within that, obviously, you've got to develop your people because the you know I, I tell our athletes all the time, a better you makes a better us. So the better they get, the better we get. So, but within that, we've also got to reconcile the fact that no one person is more important than the team's goal. So we've got to invest in personal development, but that shouldn't come at the cost or the expense of the team itself. So there are a number of examples of athletes who who had to change they had to make uh i'm not sure if we would say sacrifices but certainly we'd, we'd say they had to make investments in the team that they probably weren't used to making some of that might be around playing time some of them might be about the way that they chose to compete some of that might be a, their role on the team um there are any number of things so uh, i guess if if you're looking for an example we could pull out a number of them but I think the biggest thing to understand is, you know, you, you take each one individually, each person, and you meet them where they're at. Understanding you as the coach probably has an idea of, have an idea, excuse me, of where they need to get to for us to become the best we can be as a team. And you try to help them on that journey. And then within that, you've got all these different parts that you're trying to develop to make sure that when they all get together, that the whole is capable of creating those synergies that you know come with high functioning teams you speak with such passion about the the topic and i know that you're a real student of it as well and i'm wondering is there any research i mean you referenced the running research earlier but is there anything else you've read recently on high functioning teams that you think could help people um no but i'm i'm a big uh i'm a big proponent of of this this theme that we've talked about a couple of times around teams and teammate behavior i think i think for me um you know i think a lot of stuff about teams is uh, not not formulaic but i th i think there's just so many because it's about individuals and then getting them to work to be the become the best they can be so that we can become the best we can be there's there's probably a lot of different ways you can approach it um but but I'm I'm certainly a big believer in in giving teammate behavior 
some framework. And and I, I talk about this a little bit in the book when we when we get into some some of the stuff around trust and and I talk about you know trust yourself, trust your teammates, trust your coaches. But within trust your teammates, I, th- I think there's a real opportunity to give teammate. Uh, or whatever that role is or whatever the expectation is to give that some clarity that I think can really help people. So I don't know if you're interested in talking more about that, but I think, I think that's, that's something that I I think there's some value probably. Well, let's talk about it because in the book, you actually say you only get to be teammates for a short time, but you get to be friends for the rest of your lives. (laughs) Yeah. This line, this line, Hugh, between, you know, this line transcends sports. It spills over into corporate and community life. You know, this idea right. of being friendly but not a friend. Yeah. It's central to your thoughts. I'd love to hear more on it. Well, so I, I spent half my career coaching men's volleyball and then, you know, about half, again, coaching coaching uh, women's volleyball. And and especially when I got into collegiate women's coaching, um, now you're out recruiting quite a bit. And uh, it was quite different. One, there were you know more teams, more tournaments. Women's volleyball is significantly larger in scale than men's volleyball in the US. But um, you know they'd have a they'd have a timeout, and all the girls would come in and they'd all put their arm around each other or they'd hold hands or something. And I was like, well, what's that about? And so I thought, well, that's a bit strange because um, that wasn't happening with with the guys. And then I would see, oh, it's not just happening on this court. It's happening on this court and this court and this court. I was like, well, what's that all about? And clearly what it was was that we we were trying to force our athletes into expressing some kind of unity or, or you know, collaboration, cohesion, whatever it is you want to, want to call it. But, but it felt so disingenuous because, like, well, every time out we've got to do this. Well, I think I only want to put my arm around someone when I want to put my arm around someone. And if I don't, well, that doesn't mean I can't be engaged in the timeout or be a good teammate or be ready to go compete. So what became clear to me was um, over the years is this ability to operate in truth is really significant. You know, we talk about trust being the currency that makes high functioning teams work. And part of being trustworthy is being able to be authentic, be real, right? So to that end, this idea of forced friendship, or I I'll call it in the book, faux friendship, didn't seem to align well. And never on high-functioning teams have I felt that when we force people to have to be friends, that somehow that got us a good outcome. So the first tenant of, of kind of teammate behavior is, hey, um, we need you to be friendly. Absolutely. Um you know, inclusive and respectful, all these other things. We have to be friendly. We have to be cool with one another, but we don't have to be friends. And I don't know about you, Paul, but, you know, I think when you think about the the number of really good, solid-to-the-bone friends that you have, if you have a handful in your life, then you're doing pretty well. So the idea that every year we'd have, you know, whatever, 15 on the volleyball team or, you know, fifty on the on the football team in, in American high school football or whatever. I mean, that that seems unlikely. So that's what I mean. Teammate is a real responsibility. Um, friendship, well, that can evolve, but it turns out that if we're not faking our friendship, then maybe we actually give real friendship a chance because we're like again, we're operating in truth. So. What I also found was that idea of friendly, not friends. It, it's not that we're opposed to friendship or we're not trying to be friends. We just don't want to feel like you're forced to do that. 
Well, all of a sudden, giving people the freedom to to develop empathy and understanding free of the expectation that we needed to be friends at the end of it um, was was really important for these connections that we talk about to develop. It, it allowed people to operate in truth, develop empathy, um, to be better teammates because we took that whole deal off the table. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people on those teams ended up being friends, but we just didn't require it. I read some research recently into to making friends and why it's more difficult as you get older. And it basically said that you need to be vulnerable and have unstructured time together. Now, I'm not mm. suggesting that your practices are unstructured, but I imagine there is a lot of unstructured time around the practice, the traveling to games, the after game. And I think yep. this lends itself to creating friendships. But I love this idea that you have. It's very freeing. I think for any manager, let alone whether you're leading big teams, but if you're just managing people, to be able to say, you can be friendly, but you don't need to be people's friends. I think it's quite a strong yeah. idea, and I think it transcends sport and moves into society. Mm. I would agree. I think I think it's a similar... Now, I'm not saying that anyone's at fault in this, but I do think people's expectations around teams are, you know, again, going back to this idea that we're families or we're, or we're you know, we're friends, that they're, they're, they're social groups. But the primary responsibility is this professional context. And then, yeah, from that, they might develop these other social structures around that. But that shouldn't be the primary driver of our relationships. Hugh, as always, it's wonderful to spend half an hour talking to you about all things leadership uh, and elite sport. So thank you so much again for your time today. I just think this is the third or fourth time. Hopefully we can get you back for another time. You can delve into leadership or one of the other behaviours that you, you talk about quite, uh, quite deeply in the book. Yeah, no, it's truly a pleasure. I, I love it. And um, as always, thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to the great coach, Hugh McCutcheon, talk about high-functioning teams. If you enjoyed it, we highly recommend Hugh's book, Championship Behaviours. It's the fourth time now we've interviewed Hugh, and every time I learn something new. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Cody Royal who after listening to our James Kerr interview said, this is a standout episode in an already outstanding series. Add it to your queue. Thanks, Cody. It's the interaction with the people around the world who listen that gives us great energy and keeps us going. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please take a minute to let us know. And if they're positive ones, why not share them with your friends as well? All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our refreshed website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 